morning, good morning. Hey, one other quick announcement. We are going to start a uh, kingdom business startup. On, uh, so it's going to be uh, it's going to be twice a month, and it'll be live here, and it'll also be on um, live stream. And so we'll have to download something called Zoom. We'll give you some more instructions, but it will be on the first and third Wednesdays of each month, starting in November. So the first Wednesday, in November, you can meet live here. Uh oh, here it is. I'm going to do some prophetic art for you guys. It's going to be very exciting. <clears throat> How many of you guys were here when I drew that shark that one time? That was so. So powerful, yes. So many, many were blessed by that. <clears throat> so anyway, so first and third Wednesday, starting in November, and I imagine we'll at least go through May. And so uh, it'll, be, it'll be lots of fun. So if you've got an idea for a business, if you want to start a business, but you don't have an idea for a business, you've got a side hustle you'd like to know how to turn into a business, this is for you. It'll be great. So any questions? They'll get answered later. All right, here we go. <clears throat> So this morning, I want to talk to you about uh, giving under grace and see what that looks like. So I absolutely love the new covenant. It's so different from the old covenant. Have you guys noticed how different it is? And a word is kind of like bondage versus freedom. I mean, that would kind of be like one way to put it. In the first miracle of Moses, he turned water into blood. It resulted in death. In the first miracle of grace, Jesus turned water into wine, resulting in life and celebration. I mean, you guys see, there's a big difference between those two covenants there. In the Old Covenant, if you touched a person with leprosy, you became unclean. Under the New Covenant, if you touch a person with leprosy, they become clean and healed. The Old Covenant was made between God and man, which means there's something we could do to screw it up. The New Covenant's made between God and Jesus, so there's nothing you and I can do to screw it up. He put us into Christ, and so we get all the benefits that Jesus paid for. It's a New Covenant. God is saying, I will not bless you on the basis of your performance. That was the old covenant. I will bless you on the basis of Jesus' performance. Under the law, God says, I will by no means clear the guilty, but I will visit the sins to the third and fourth generation. Some of you guys know that sounds like a bad deal. That sounds, that sounds heavy. But under grace, God says, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and lawless deeds. I will remember no more. <laughs> third and fourth generation, whammy. I will remember it no more, new covenant. Can you guys see there's a radical change? I mean, here's the, here's the old covenant. Thou shalt, thou shalt not. Thou shalt, thou shalt not. Here's the new covenant. God says, I will put my laws in their mind and write, write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and lawless deeds. I will remember no more. The law basically says this. I will carry my end, and I will bless you if you carry your end. But if you fail, I will curse you. That's pretty much the old covenant. But God said, hey, that, that new covenant, that old covenant, I'm sorry, that was the old covenant. The, uh, but he made a new arrangement between God and man. He said that old way of doing it is obsolete. And here's the new covenant. He says, I will carry my end, and then I will come and carry your end, and I will treat you as if you carried your end yourself. That's the new covenant. We've done messages on these. We've done series on these. It's very exciting. It never gets old. But unfortunately, here's what happens. As many times, law and grace get mixed up together. And what happens is people, they'll, they'll be teaching a little bit of, uh, they'll be teaching grace, 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 and they'll throw in a little bit of law, and here's the problem, guys, is a little bit of law nullifies grace. If you begin to depend on your self-efforts and what you have done in order to please God and receive the blessings of God, you put yourself under law, and that means you have to be perfect. It's like someone gives you a cold, refreshing drink of water, and you're like, man, that sounds amazing. Oh, I'm sorry, but there's a little drop of urine in it. It's like, you know what? I think I'm good. I think I'm going to pass that. That's what happens when you try to mix a little bit of uh, uh, law with a lot of bit of grace. It still comes out. It nullifies it. Okay? 
So I believe one area where the body of Christ sees a lot of mixture with grace and laws with the area of giving. Is it's like, it's like, I've got to do these things to please God. I've got to do all, like, how does this whole thing work out? So I'm going to teach you some things today that are going to set you free from condemnation and guilt. How many believe that would be a sign and a wonder to hear a message on giving that sets you free from condemnation and guilt? So to start with that, let's go to the biggest condemnation and guilt passage in the Bible, Malachi chapter 3. Let's go there. And if you have a problem with someone teaching you on giving, maybe you've just heard it wrong. And so I understand there's just been past uh, bad teachings. Or maybe you just need to settle the idea in your heart. There's a lot of people, they just haven't decided whether Jesus is Lord over their finances. So anytime this subject is brought up, they're squirming and stuff like that. And so if that's you, man, just, just settle in and say, God, what do you have for me here? And if you just had bad teaching, well, hopefully you're about to get some good one. I believe you will. Malachi, also known as the Italian prophet Malachi, chapter 3, beginning in verse 6. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees that have not kept them. That's the old covenant. That's what happens. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord. But you ask, how are we to return? God says, will a man, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse. Or as the King James says, you are cursed with a curse, right? Your whole nation, because you are robbing me, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Now, this passage of Scripture has been used by a lot of people to teach that if you do not tithe, you are robbing God and you will be cursed. How many of you guys have ever heard teaching that went something like this? All right, almost a, a vast majority, like, a, like 90 percentile plus here. So this view says that tithing is an obligation. It's mandatory. And if you don't pay up, there's going to be some extreme consequences, right? I even saw a website. Okay, this is the extreme version of it. But, you know, if you're going to go there, you might as well go all in, right? If that's your view, I call it the tithe or burn view. Um, here, listen to this. This is actually from, this is a real article. Um, uh, supposedly, here it is. Together as a group, these seven Colombian youths were taken by Jesus Christ and shown heaven and hell. Hear their account of the glories of heaven and the misery of hell. Are you guys ready for this? This is the eyewitness account of these people. This is uh, one of the seven. This is the third testimony from Sandra. Sandra writes this. We continued walking, seeing thousands and thousands of people. There were young people, adults, and elderly people suffering in torment. We arrived in a place that looked like a big swimming pool of fire with thousands of men and women inside of it. Each of them had a metal plate on their chest that read, I am here for not giving tithes and offerings. When I read that, I asked the Lord, Lord, how can this be possible that people are here for this reason? The Lord responded, yes, because these people thought that tithes and offerings were not important when my word shows it as a command. In Malachi chapter 3, 8 and 9, and then the Lord quotes her, the verse that we just read, Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. So God used the King James when he was quoting it to her. Just, it's good to note that. <laughs> the Lord told me that when his people withhold... This, this is Cherry again. When the... Uh, no, what did I say? Sandra. Sandra. The Lord told me that when his people withhold their tithes, it hinders the work of the Lord, and then the gospel is not preached. People in this place suffered a thousand times worse than others... Because they knew the word of the Lord and disobeyed, end quote. Let's close in prayer. 
No, we're not going to close in prayer. Hey, I mean, if you're going to go for that view, you might as well go all in on that view. And so um, I've been around people who are all in for that view. Listen, if you've got your choice between someone's visionary experience of hell and the Bible, how about we go with the Bible? Just because someone said they had a trip to somewhere, maybe they did in their mind. I, that doesn't necessarily mean that it happened, okay? And so tithing gets presented as paying protection money or hush money to the mafia. Here's God. You know, he's going to send Guido, the devourer, to break your kneecaps slash devour your crops if you don't pay tithe to the Godfather. Guys, he's God the Father, not the Godfather. Let's get these things right. Are we doing okay here? You're like, Jim, it feels like you're making fun of the Bible. No, what I'm doing is I'm showing you what mixture does. Malachi happens to be in the Old Covenant. Ultimately, many churches have tried to motivate people the way the mafia does. Fear, intimidation, condemnation. Growing up, I was told that I owed God a tenth of my income. It didn't even belong to me, that I was robbing God if I didn't give it to him. If I didn't tithe, I was stealing God, and if I didn't pay up, I'd be cursed. If I didn't pay God what belonged to him, I was told he would get his money somehow, either through medical bills, I'd get a flat tire, the washing machine would, uh, would bust. Has anyone else heard? I mean, I'm not making these things up. Look around, guys. Hands going up everywhere. Hopefully people who weren't raised at Zion, for goodness sakes. I know of a large church where someone... Um, where if someone came to them in need, the first question they would ask, like they needed money, the first question they would ask is, are you a tither? Because if you're not a tither, you're cursed. And why would we try to bless what God has cursed? Hey, guys, if you're going to go all in for this view, that's the logical extreme. Why would you try to bless something that God's cursing? Does this go for unbelievers? Like, I don't even know how far they're willing to take it, okay? Can I just um, give you some good news here? Um, if you do not tithe... You are not cursed. Under the new covenant, you are not blessed because of your behavior. You're blessed because of Jesus' behavior. Then we're feeling like their mind's starting to renew, maybe just a little bit of like hope here. You're not cursed if, you're good, um, if you don't tithe. That should be good news to someone. Let's look at Malachi 3.8 again. Will a, mortal, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me, but you ask, how are we robbing you? And tithes and offerings. So people say, if you don't pay tithes, you're robbing God, but that's not what it said. It said tithes and offerings. How come they just pick out the tithe part? Sorry. <laughs> I had a cough drop, and I couldn't get, they had been in my uh, pocket so long that the wrapper had fused to the cough drop, and I couldn't get the wrapper off, and that's the part that wasn't dissolving in my mouth. Okay. <laughs> All right, now, I'm so sorry. And so what were the tithes? He says, you've robbed God in tithes and offerings. And so what were the tithes in this chapter? A tithe means one-tenth or 10%. And so here it's talking about your gross and not talking about your net. But of course, Malachi wasn't talking about 10%. Guys, the tithes under the Old Covenant, there was three tithes. Guys, the, the tithe in Malachi was three tithes. The first tithe supported the spiritual leaders. It was the Levitical tithes, Numbers 18, 21, and 24. The second tithe was the festival tithe in Deuteronomy 14, 22, and 23. The third was taken every three years was for the poor, Deuteronomy 14, verses 28 and 29. Guys, none of these tithes were money. They were all food tithes. They tithed off of the increase of their food. So this amounted to about 23% of their produce. 
Okay, so the tithe in this passage was 23% of their produce. How are we doing? So what were the offerings under the Old Covenant law? Well, uh, there was the first fruits offering, the burnt offering, the grain offering, the peace offering, the sin offering, which depending on your lifestyle could get quite expensive. <laughs> the trespass offering, the drink offering, the food offering, the new moon offering, and every time you had a child offering, which depending on your lifestyle could get quite expensive. I heard someone say that if you add up the mandatory offerings, it would be about 33% of your income. And if you include the voluntary offerings, it would be about 50% of your income. Not counting the sin <laughs> offerings in there. Listen, guys, if you're going to believe that you're robbing God and you're cursed with a curse if you don't tithe, then you're going to have to give all the tithes and you're going to have to give all the offerings. You're going to have to bring back the entire Jewish sacrificial system. Guess what? We don't need to bring back the entire Jewish sacrificial system. There was a lamb of God. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> that is so gross. <laughs> sorry, more paper for those of you who are listening to it. That, that was a bad mistake. Yeah, if you look at my chair in the front row, it looks like a little rat's nest. I'm trying to like, scrape this thing off here. Ridiculous. <clears throat> guys, if you, guys, if you do not tithe, God is not mad at you. He still loves you. He's not going to judge you the way he did in the old covenant. Why? Because it's a new covenant. How many are getting nervous? How many are getting intrigued there? How many can't figure out which one or which way I'm going with this thing? If you've been paying your tithes as a debt and an obligation, thinking that if you don't pay your tithes and God is mad at you, that you are cursed, that he's going to send some devourer, if that's how you've been giving, you've been voiding all of the benefits of your giving. And that's why many of you have not prospered the way God wants to prosper you. Listen, if giving was this mechanical process where I put in my money and there was this one hundredfold return, regardless of the condition of my heart, then guys, we would all be seeing multiplied thousands and thousands on our hundreds and, and, and so forth and so forth. There'd be millions of dollars sitting in our bank. Why is it not? Because it's not just this mechanical process. You know, you just give this and this. There's a lot of people who are demanding, I'm a tither, so God owes me this. No, you're a child of the king, and so God promised you this. So many people are bossing God around with a tithe. I'm this child of the king. I'm this and that, like getting all fat and sassy because they're tithing. Guys, get confident because of what Jesus did, not because of what you have done. Don't put confidence in your works. I can't even tell you how many messages. Well, I'm a tither. I expect this. No, I'm a child of God, and I'm believing his promises. Don't start bossing God around. Sorry, that one was free. Mark chapter 10, verses 29 and 30. This is uh, Jesus. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel, fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. And so here he is promising, guys, there is an actual promise of a hundredfold return, but it's not an automatic thing. Okay, there's some things that we have to do. So you know why, has this, why this hasn't happened? It's because your motive is more important than the amount. Dramatic pause. 1 Corinthians 13.3. And uh, though I bestow all my goods to feed to the poor. Another translation says, if I give away all my possessions to the poor... And though I give my body to be burned, in other words, like uh, for in persecution, you, you, you become a martyr, but I have not love, it profits me nothing. If your motivation for giving is not God's kind of love, it profits you 
nothing. You can completely kill the seed with the wrong attitude. Listen, guys, if you're receiving what I'm saying, this could be worth thousands, tens of thousands, even millions of dollars if we can get our heart right. Guys, I want us to get our heart right so we can start getting the supernatural flow that actually is promised in Scripture. It just doesn't come from us and our works and our manipulating and our giving under obligation. If you learn to give with the right heart, which we're going to be talking about next, you can start receiving a return off of your giving that you have never experienced. And that's what I'm hungry for at this church, is us to get what Jesus paid for. You can almost hear, I wrote this during worship here. Let me see if I can read it. You can almost hear Jesus say, You have heard it said, Bring the whole tithe or you are robbing me or you will be cursed. But I say unto you, Give from a heart of love. Your motive matters more than the amount. If someone came to you and put a gun to your head and said, start worshiping now, how many know it would be difficult to start worshiping? Like, like you'd be feeling a lot of pressure and fear. Like if I don't perform right, there's going to be consequences, right? That's what the tithe has been in so many people's head. There's been a gun to your head saying, give or you're going to be cursed and like it. Okay, I don't want to be cursed. I don't, I don't want to rob God. And so out of just a, a kind of a good heart, but not a pure heart, we've been giving. And it's come, it's, there's become a mixture with law and grace. So now that the gun is gone, I want you to be free to give from your heart. We're going to look at what that looks like here in just a second. Here's what I want to do. I want to do an activation. I want you to just close your eyes and ask the Holy Spirit this. Holy Spirit, what is the lie that I've been believing about giving? And just see what he says to you. Holy Spirit, what is the lie that I've been believing about giving? Holy Spirit, what's the truth you want me to know about giving? Let's just take a moment and talk to God about this. If you've had, a, if you've had the wrong attitude towards giving, I just, uh, let's just take a moment. God, we just repent. We just say change our thinking, change our perspective when it comes to giving. We want to be free. <laughs> we want to step into that new covenant way of giving. So, Lord, if, uh, if anyone in here, you've given out a condemnation, fear, wrong motives. Uh, Lord, we just repent right now. We just thank you that uh, we are no longer under the law that Jesus became the curse of the law so that we could become, so we could have the blessing of Abraham. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I thank you that uh, the children are free, is what you said. The children are free. In Jesus' name, amen. I did forget to give you that verse. It's Galatians 3.13. It says that Jesus became the curse of the law so that in him we might have the blessing of Abraham. Okay, so all those curses under the law, he took all that stuff on, so we never have to carry that. Is that good news? All right, so just to review, to make sure that we're on the same page, Malachi chapter 3 is the old covenant curse placed on people for not giving. In the new covenant, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, and we are not to give under that same motivation. So here's the question. So if there's no external law telling me to give, why should I give? Okay, 
And so uh, imagine a woman, she's married to the most demanding husband. Some of you are like, I don't have to imagine very hard. Stop it right there, okay? Just, this is a hypothetical illustration. Imagine a woman married to the most demanding husband. Nothing she did was ever good enough. She tried to please him, but it was never enough. The husband left her lists of things to do every day. She tried to get them done, but it was never done to his liking. He never did them just right. The woman was exasperated. Then one day, her husband died. No cheering here. Later, she remarried a man who showed her unconditional love. He didn't care about her getting her list done. He just wanted her heart. Her response to this loving man was that she ended up doing more on these lists out of love than she ever did out of fear for her first husband. That's actually a story from Romans chapter 7. It says, you used to be married to the law, and it was this exacting taskmaster, and you had to do it perfect, otherwise you were going to hear about it, and you were going to get punished. But you, you died to the law, and now you married a new husband, Jesus Christ, who just wants your heart. And so you're not under the law, you're under grace. Your demanding husband, the law is dead. There's no more demands. But your response to your new husband, Christ, will actually, you'll do more for love than you will out of fear. I'm not preaching that we're free from the tie so that you don't have to give. I'm preaching so that we can purify our motives. The motivation behind your gift is more important than your gift. I want to make sure we get this. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 13.3 again. Although I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, I mean, that sounds amazing, and though I give my body to be burned, but I have not love, it profits me nothing. The reason you give is more important than how much you give. And it is true. Listen, guys, if you give, God will give back to you. Our motivation is not give to get. It's foolish to give to try to get God to give you things. It's equally as foolish to give and to not expect a return. I'm going to try it over here. Are we all right? Guys, it's carnal. It's fleshly to, to give. Like I said, if we did a conference called Supernatural Finances, there would be a lot of people who showed up thinking, how can I get God to give me more money? Okay, that's, that, that reverses our relationship with God, where I become the master, and I'm now using God to go get me money. Here, God, here, God, go get me some money. That's a lot of people's giving. That's the motivation. We've got, we got to die to that thing. It's foolish to give to get, but it's equally as foolish to give and to not expect to get a return on our giving. Why? Because he's pulled back the veil and said, this is how it works. Add your faith to it. Listen to 2 Corinthians 9, 6. The context of this is money. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9, two whole chapters on money. He's, Paul says this. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He's making an analogy, if you look at the context, of your money is like a seed. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. A farmer who uh, eats all of his seed, he's not going to have a future harvest. And so he takes a portion of that and he plants it. And then he watches it grow. No farmer sticks one tomato seed in the ground and expects nothing to happen, right? He expects to have a whole bunch of tomatoes come out of that, right? And so it's, it's equally as foolish for the farmer to just throw it in the ground and go, ah, who knows what's going to happen. You know, I guess, guess that left my life. <clears throat> when you give, money is not leaving your life. It's going into your future to multiply to bring you a future harvest. If you're not giving, you do not have any way of getting a future harvest, Anytime someone manipulates you to give, saying that you can buy God's blessing, that the salvation of a loved one will happen, or some special jubilee return will happen, that's the wrong motive for giving. You're being coerced. You're being manipulated. Our giving is an act of love and worship to his, in a response to his kindness and goodness. 
So Jim, what you're saying is that if there's no external law telling me how much to give, then how much should I give? That's a fair question, right? Nowhere in the New Testament is there a prescribed amount to give. But generosity and cheerfulness are the marks of New Testament giving. The widow gave a penny, but it was all she had. The Pharisees gave a tenth. Zacchaeus gave half. The woman who washed Jesus' feet with a pound of expensive perfume was that was worth about a year's salary. Jesus asked the rich young ruler to sell everything and to give all. Jesus' disciples left their boats and nets and their family businesses. The early church in the book of Acts sold their possessions to meet the needs of each other and held all of their possessions in common. Barnabas sold a field. The Corinthian church was told to give in keeping with their income or in relation to what you have earned. The Macedonian church gave according to their means and beyond their means of their own free will. So how much are you supposed to give? Can you see there's no like one pattern that they were all prescribed a law to give? But there's always two sides of this. And so I think this is going uh, to help you. So the Bible says that um, let each man determine in his heart what he's to give, not grudgingly or under compulsion. The Lord loves a cheerful giver. That was 2 Corinthians 9, 7, and 8. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart. The only prescription that we have in the entire New Testament for how much to give is let you decide in your heart not grudgingly or under compulsion, not coerced, not manipulated. I, I've, been in, I've literally been in services before where the pastor said, we're not leaving until 10 people give $1,000. <laughs> I tell you what happens when I, I'm in those services. My arms cross and my wallet tightens. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, you're not going to manipulate me like that. And it was sad. Oh, I probably shouldn't tell this, but... And so, um, there, so nine people stood, and we're, like, we're literally sitting there for 15 minutes in silence. It was Easter Sunday. We're literally sitting there. He would not let us leave. So finally, my dad raises his hand. I'm like, Dad? And he's, he's like, hey, I'll pay a thousand bucks just to go eat lunch. And so, um, <laughs> guys, why do people do, why do they use these uh, manipulation and coercion tactics? Because they work. Okay? This isn't part of it, but let me just say this. Where should you give? You should give where you're fed, not where you're begged. You should give where you're fed, not where you're begged. Malachi chapter 3 says bring the, uh, bring the tithe to the storehouse. So an old covenant principle was bring it where you're fed. The storehouse was the place where the meat was kept, where it was fed. And so um, and in the new covenant, Galatians 6, it talks about do not, tread, do not muzzle the ox while he's treading out the grain. It's talking about paying your, paying your, your church leaders. Um, like, don't keep the money from them. Let them partake of it. And uh, there's another verse I'm blanking on. I, I can give it to you at another time here. I didn't plan on teaching this part. But here's the thing. In an ideal condition, you would give where you're, where you're fed. Some people go to a church that does not preach the gospel, that is preaching absolute foolishness, saying it's okay to marry homosexuals, to you know, just all, all sorts of things that are clearly sinful practices. They're preaching a guilt, law-based gospel. You should not give your money there. You're not being fed there. Get out of that church. Here's what happened, guys. If the churches who were feeding people had people who gave there, they would flourish. And the churches who were not feeding people, they would dwindle up and die. But the churches who are not feeding people, but they're beating the sheep, beating the tithe out of people, those coercion tactics are working, and so they continue to be propagated. So where should you give? Give where you're fed, not where you're bagged. So if, you are, if you're a part of this church and you feel like this is the gospel and the kingdom is being preached and you're encountering God and all those good things then you should give here. You don't go to McDonald's and pay Wendy's. 
You don't get fed here and go give to the Salvation Army. Okay, that's a different kind of giving. That's almsgiving and stuff like that. So are we all right? So uh, here, let's do this. And so, um, so one side of it is um, the Lord loves a cheerful giver. Okay, so we're trying to figure out how much do we give. So the amount of money that gives you joy, I'm just going to say, it's probably going to lower the amount. <laughs> I'm trying to give you some guardrails here, some two sides of the road here. Here's what um, uh, Romans 14, 17 says. Anything not done in faith is sin. So the amount that is going to require faith is going to increase this amount. So the amount that you're going to give that's determined by you, not by somebody else, is going to be the amount that brings you joy and the amount that requires faith. There's some people who you've been tithing 10 cents in every dollar for the last 30 years, and you've missed the adventure of what the Bible says, grow in the grace of giving. This is uh, 2 Corinthians, grace of giving. That is 2 Corinthians 8, 7. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Remember, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 are two whole chapters on giving. And so listen, if you've been giving the same amount for the last couple of years, the last five years, and I'm going to encourage you, get in on this grace of giving. What does it mean when it's called a grace? Grace is God's empowering presence to come and empower you to do what you can't do in your own strength. He's literally saying, I want you to go on this adventure of partnering with the Holy Spirit to do impossible things through your finances. It's going to happen through faith. It's going to happen through what you can do joyfully. So let's say um, you're like, Jim, I want to go on this grace of giving, but I, you know, I, I, I'm really new at this. My faith is, and so I'm going, to do, I'm going to encourage you to start off giving regularly. So think of this as a continuum here, Okay. So now this is a separate diagram. Start off giving regularly. You're like, Jim, where did you get that from? You just make that up? 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. Now regarding your question about the money being collected for God's people in Jerusalem, you should follow the same procedure I gave to the churches in Galatia. On the first day of the week, you should each put aside a portion of the money you have earned. Don't wait until I get there and try to collect it all at once. I read a statistic that uh, Christians in America gave between 1.7 and 1.8% of what they earned. Christians in America. And uh, this is less than the poor countries of the world. And so I'm just going to be bold here, and I'm just going to say, why don't you at least shoot for at least 2%? (laughs) I know you're not supposed to give numbers, but can we at least give more than the poor countries, that wouldn't even be the poor countries of the world, but this would at least be matching the, uh, the stingiest Christians in America. So if you, if you are we okay? I'm trying to do this with the best thing in my heart, okay? You've never heard another pastor say you don't have to tithe in your life, okay? So just, <clears throat> okay, and so, okay, let's, so um, you're, you're, you're moving, you're, you're giving regularly, you've got faith for it, it's giving you joy, and so what's the next thing along the continuum is maybe give proportionally. Pick a percentage. 2 Corinthians 8.3, For they gave according to their means, or according to how much money that they had, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord. Nobody made them pick a percentage. Nobody made them pick an amount. It was of their own accord. I want you to, I want you to see this. I believe that you can tithe under the new covenant but it comes from a whole different motive. 
Okay, so I, I believe that you can tithe under grace. And let me talk about what that looks like. Put it this way. I believe that you can tithe by revelation, not by obligation. Okay? I personally believe that tithing is the ways of God and not the, way, not the laws of Moses. Okay? And so I believe that you can tithe. I personally, I tithe, and I'm going to show you how I do it by faith. And I'm not saying you have to do it this way. I'm just saying that as you grow in the grace of giving, there'll be a point where you're going to get to, you're eventually going to run into 10%, right, if you keep growing. And so Abraham, our father in the faith, he tithed out of revelation, not obligation. Here's what Jesus said. Abraham is your father in the faith if you do the deeds that he did. I don't think we have to go back and repeat every single thing, you know, sacrifice our son, all, all these type of things. It's not talking about that. It's talking about the, the, the deeds that he did, he did out of a heart of complete trust, recognizing God as his source. That is story after story of how he did it. And so he's like, if you're going to be Abraham's son, your giving is going to have to look like giving out of that, that response of awe, of thankfulness, of trust. And so let's look at the story. Genesis 14, we are almost done here. Genesis 14, verse 17. And let me, let me set the context for this. And so there was these four wicked kings, and they, uh, there was this kind of a rebellion. And so they went, and they went to war with these five wicked kings. Okay? Among the five wicked kings, though, was Abraham's nephew, Lot. And so these four wicked kings, they kick butt on these five wicked kings. And now Abraham's nephew, Lot, is swept up into slavery. All the possessions were stolen. So Abraham hears about this. He gets 318 of his servants, and he goes up and open a, opens up a can of whiptail on these four wicked kings. He gets back all the possessions and all the people of five whole cities. Think about this. I mean, his personal army, his his cleaning crew, his people, right? I mean, how prosperous was Abraham that he could take 318 people and go against a professional army? Like, what was it? Like, was it like a ninja training camp? Like, like they're, they're cooking, but they're really waxing on, waxing on. Like, what was happening in here? I don't even know. Verse, four, verse 17. After his return from the defeat of Kedor Laomer, that was the evil king of the four armies, and the kings who were with them, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shava. That is the king's valley. Okay? And so here, uh, so Abraham, he's defeated this king. He's walking out to this valley. The king of Sodom meets him, but there's another king who comes also. Sodom was one of the five armies who got uh, captive. Okay? The king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shava, which is the king's valley. Verse 18. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of God Most High. And he blessed Abraham and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High. This is the first time these phrases have ever been used in the Bible. God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. Blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. If Abraham had any doubt, how do I take 318 household servants and go and defeat four professional armies? He's letting them know, God has blessed you. He is the one who has delivered these enemies. I mean, you had to figure, Abraham had to be kind of scratching his head. Like, how did we just do that? Here's this king who's coming. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, so this is the other king, hey, give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord, God most high. He's using the same phrases to describe God that Melchizedek was just using to describe God. These phrases that have never been used before in the Bible. I have lifted my hand to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you just say, I'm the one who made Abram rich. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and share of the men who went with me. Let Aner, Eshol, 
mammer, take their share. Why are they taking their share? Because one of the promises is God said, I will bless those who bless you. So the people who blessed Abraham, they're not getting to partake in part of that promise. I want you to get this. Here's Melchizedek, this shadowy figure who appears basically in three places in the Bible. 2,000 years before Christ, at the story of Abraham, he appears. About 1,000 years later, Abraham, or David in Psalm 110 says, hey, Jesus, he's going to be a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. One verse in Psalm 110, and then about another 1,000 years later in the book of Hebrews. We're going to see here in just a second. So Melchizedek's name means king of righteousness, and he was the king of Salem, which means peace. Does this sound familiar to anybody? The king of righteousness, the king of peace. And the book of Hebrews tells us that he had no beginning and he has no ending. And what does this king of righteousness who has no beginning and no ending do? Um, uh, here, I love this. Abraham's called the friend of God. And here we see the friend of God having an encounter with the son of God. In Melchizedek, he was not like the Levitical priest. The Levitical uh, priest blessed and cursed you. But this priest was from a different order. Should we say a different covenant is what we find out. And he only blesses Abraham. How many of you guys are thankful that our high priest only blesses us? He doesn't bless and curse. And so the king of righteousness and the king of, this king of peace, the friend of God meets the son of God, and the son of God brings bread and wine and blesses Abraham. What is going on here? You want to know what's going on here? John eight fifty six. Jesus said, Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it, and he was glad. The king of righteousness comes and reveals the new covenant to Abraham, blesses him, and his response to this was, I'm going to give you a tenth of everything. Abraham was a prototype of a new covenant believer. Remember, he's the one who believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Righteousness is when you enter into a realm where God is not dealing with you based on your behavior. He's dealing with you based on his own behavior. And we see this over and over in the story of Abraham. Uh, the blessing of Abraham was that God was with him in everything he did. Regardless, he's lying, he's, he's, doing all, he's messing up, he's disobeying, he's doing all these things, and God continued to bless him because he was a picture of God. Abraham was not blessed because of his amazing business skills. He was blessed because of God, and he believed that. And we come over here, and he says, you know, Jesus took the curse so that we could have the blessing of Abraham. The blessing of Abraham is, is not some special impartation that you need to receive. It's the Holy Spirit coming into your life, and it's one of the shadowy pictures of the Old Testament of what salvation's all about. Abraham got a revelation of the cross and the blessing and responded with a tithe. Listen, guys. I wrote this one down. The tithe was not a peasant-paying tax. It was not an obligation. It was the response of a conquering warrior taking the best part of his spoils of war and giving them to the king of righteousness, seeing the king of peace as the source of his victory. Guys, if you want to tithe into the new covenant, I say go for it. My wife and I have started there. We've trained our kids since they were little to give 10 cents out of every, 10 cents out of every dollar. But it's not a God tax. It's not a franchise fee for the kingdom. I've heard all these things from people that I love. Okay? It is recognizing your source and seeing that the, the conquerors, the spoils of war that you've done all week at work or all month in your sales, whatever that might be, you're recognizing, God, you are the source of this blessing. And listen, remember, under the new covenant, we are blessed first, and then we respond out of that. We're never trying to do something to get God to bless us. Ephesians 1.3 says you've received every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You've already been blessed. The bread, the wine, and the blessing have already come to you. 
And so the tithe is our response to say, thank you, you're amazing. You're my source. I'm not getting my source from you, you, or you. I've lifted my hand to the God most high. Abraham recognized God as his source. Listen, Hebrews 5, it says, it takes maturity and it takes wisdom to understand Melchizedek. And he says, you guys are so immature. He's speaking to the Hebrews. I'm not speaking to you. He's saying, um, you guys are so mature. I can't go on and on about them. And so there's this, it takes spiritual eyes to see this whole, this whole thing here. Many of you in here, you're tithing with the right heart. I say, keep on going and keep on growing. Keep on growing in the grace of giving. Guys, why do you think there's so much passion, emotion, and absolute chaos over the subject of tithing? Because there's something special about it. I believe it's one of God's ancient paths that he talks about. So if that's you, don't stop. For those of us who got so, my wife and I, we got so used to tithing that it didn't require faith anymore. When we began understanding these truths, we had to go to the Lord and we said, okay, what does that look like? And... Um, I don't think in our marriage we've ever given as little as 10%. We've always given more. I think uh, last year we gave a little over 25%. And um, this year, we'll see. It's still still a fun year. We're still doing a bunch of fun stuff. And so um, and for for us personally, 10% of our gross, more than 10% of our gross always goes to Zion. I feel like it's the best kingdom seed to sow into. And we give to other things that God puts in our heart as well. And as you continue to move on, move to give sacrificially. Jesus tells the story of a lady who gave a penny, but it was all she had. And he said, this story is going to be told throughout the ages. God loves a cheerful giver. I'm going to close with this story. Actually, I'm going to close with this thought because I wrote it down real quick. Jesus came to fulfill the law and not to abolish the law. So here's the question, is how did the law of tithing get fulfilled in Jesus? Everything about that? How does Jesus speak to the tithe? A lot of um, Old Testament scholars, especially Jewish scholars, they believe that the, um, the first fruit offering and the tithe were the same thing because they both had to do with the giving the best part. So the first fruit was you'd plant your crops, and the, the first ones would come up, and they would take those crops. There wasn't any other evidence of any other crops coming up. They would take those, and they would give the best part to God, saying, God, we're trusting you for the rest of the harvest. You see, it was the costliest part. It was the best part of the harvest, Okay. What is Jesus called by God? He is called a firstfruits of many brethren. How did Jesus, so the tithe was where you're taking your best and you're trusting God that he's going to bring you a greater harvest. And so we see, guys, the whole Old Testament points to Jesus. So the Old Testament tithe was, it was a picture of God taking his best and sowing it and Jesus becoming the firstfruit, the firstborn of many different brothers. Not a powerful picture. It's all got to point to Jesus, otherwise we're reading it wrong, all right? God loves a cheerful giver. So I'm just going to close with this story. I'm going to do one more activation. So the number one rule in our house growing up, the boys can tell you, is that mommy's the princess. That's the number one rule in the house. And so any time, like, if I was, like, fussing at Mary a little bit, they'd be like, Dad, mommy's the princess. I'm like, you know what? You're right. I need to to change my heart here. Thank you, boys, for that. And so... um, so glad for that. Thank you. Right in the middle of a good point I was making to her. Anyway, and so, um, and so we would, uh, so a lot of times the, the boys, we, we'd teach them, you open the door for a lady, right? And so 
uh, sometimes Mary would tease them, so she would have to get her own door, and she'd walk by and go, fail, and they're like, oh, we're so sorry, Mom, you know, because you know, we're teaching them how do you treat a princess. Princesses don't open their own doors. Have you noticed that, right? And so one day we're at this restaurant, I mean, the kids are just little, and I watched them uh, running and fighting for who got to open the door for Mary. So one got the first door, and one got the second door, and it just kind of warmed my heart. And so I'm reading in the scripture where it said, God loves a cheerful giver. And I asked the Lord, I said, God, you love everybody. What is it about a cheerful giver? And he takes me back to that story of the, of the boys, you know, just kind of the scene just floods my mind and the boys are, you know, they're fighting for the door. And it was so warm my heart because I knew that the boys had my heart. They were behaving in the way that, that, that I feel like, you know, should have been happening. They had my heart. And the guy, listen, you are most like God when you're giving. For God so loved the world that he he gave. He gave the most precious thing. And so you are most like God when you're giving. And so God loves a cheerful giver because he sees you representing his heart. He's like, ah, my kids, they've got my heart. So here's what I want to do. I want to uh, just do another activation with the Holy Spirit. And I don't want anyone to feel terrible about anything. But if you have kind of had a withholding spirit, you know, a lot of people enter into these debates about uh, tithing. Just, just so you guys know, like, I've, I've ticked off both sides with this message. Because there's, there's the one side that says you have to tithe. They're not going to like what I just said. And the other side that says it's all grace, grace, grace. And if you even mention the word tithe, then you're in a mixture. They're not going to like it. So part of me just really wrestled because I'm like, I would just rather not deal with the persecution. Trust me. I, 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 I'm on Facebook. I get it. And so, but part of what um, people are really wrestling with is the... You know, do I tie them the net or the gross? And they're trying to figure out what's the least amount I can give to God and not have him mad at me. Okay? Because we need to repent of those kind of attitudes, of trying to get away with the least rather than recognizing the gun is gone. Like anything I do now gets to come from a whole different place. And so if you, uh, I just feel like we need to just circle back around. And if you feel like you've kind of had that withholding, that, you know, I'm not recognizing God as my source. I, I'm not completely trusting him. We're not going to do a raise your hand. We're not going to do a come down to thing. But just between you and God, guys, we're going to continue building on this in the coming weeks. And how do we prosper in God's kingdom? But you can't go any farther than lordship. You're never going to get farther than your level of trust with finances because he says, if you can't trust God for that which is least, he's talking about finances, you can't trust him for the greater. You're never going to step into the greater if you don't graduate from the kindergarten of the spiritual life. I'm jealous for a church that steps into the greater. And I believe the reason the body of Christ isn't operating at the level of the New Testament is because we can't even trust him for money. We got Christians given 1.8%. Mind-boggling. And so I'm just saying, let's, let's get rid of that attitude. Let's not feel horrible, but just recognize, God, I, man, I've been doing this thing wrong. I've been withholding. And so, Holy Spirit, if, uh, just search our hearts right now. And if there's been a withholding, a stinginess, a fear of letting you get involved in our finances, uh, Holy Spirit, we just repent right now. And we just recognize, like Abraham did, you are the creator of heaven and earth. You are the Lord Almighty. You are our source. And God, we want to see that supernatural invasion of uh, d- defeating armies with a small army, of, of just the blessing of Abraham in our life. God, we want our finances to make a difference. We want to have affluence for influence, income for impact, and prosperity with a purpose. So Lord, we just repent of any small thinking, of any withholding, in the name of Jesus. Some of you um, 
God may be challenging you to step into revelation, step into tithing out of revelation instead of obligation. That may be something that he's challenging you to do. I would encourage you, um, go all in. Go all in with it. It's interesting, the one time where God, he you know, says, you've robbed me, and instead of saying, I'm going to punish you because you robbed me, he says, hey, put me to the test. One interpretation of the whole rob me thing is that God, God says, you have robbed me of the opportunity to bless you, so now test me. Read it in context. It's, it seems like that's what it's saying. You've robbed me of this chance to bless you. It's like the parable of the talents and the miners. The whole reason he gave them money was because he wanted to reward them. So here's your challenge this week. Get with the Lord and determine in your heart what you're going to give. Not grudgingly, but an amount that brings you joy, but requires faith. Until you do that, it's going to be difficult for us to build on these things. And so, but if you do that, we can have some fun. Amen?